0: Good morning. good morning, good to see everybody, and uh, it's probably good for you to be able to hear me better. I'm um, thankful for your prayers, thankful for the Lord's mercies in uh, bringing my voice back. It's not 100%, but I would say it's probably 85%, okay? so thankful for that. Um, I'll probably try to take it easy on the projection here a little bit just to be safe, but Um, Yeah, thankful for it coming back. It really didn't, it was all crackly and odd until uh, Wednesday, really, so. All right, so Will is handing out uh, the handouts and um, there are really three that are going around. Um, One is the updated version of our review sheet that now has questions one through six on them. Um, We'll go over those uh, once here shortly. Um, The second one is the handout for today, which this is going to be probably a two-part discussion on these questions, on questions seven and eight, because we're going to be Not even making it through all of question seven here uh, this morning. It is a meaty question. And um, then the last one is, I went ahead and made a word search. And I know some of the girls in the back there that were in my membership class, we did word searches. Their eyes are probably like, oh, yeah, are any of these new beyond the ones we talked about before? So, um, anyhow, uh, but... If y'all and and kids, if you would like to use it, please feel free. And as I mentioned, even the older kids, the adults, uh, sometimes you enjoy that as well. So feel free. And if we need more copies, we can make some. All right. Well, let me go ahead and open this up with a word of prayer. Our gracious God and heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this Lord's day. We thank you for... Uh, This hour where we can study your word and learn more about you and your attributes, our great God. And we pray that your spirit would be with us and help us as we uh, do this study and and learn more about you and are in awe about what is true of you and who you are. And uh, we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. All right. Well, let's uh, start with our review page. And so I'll go ahead and ask the question and then we'll say the answer together. Okay? Question one. What is the chief and highest end of man? Man's chief and highest end is to glorify God and fully to enjoy him forever. Question two. How doth it appear that there is a God? The very light of nature in man and the works of God. Declare plainly that there is a God, but his word and spirit only do sufficiently and effectually reveal him unto men for their salvation. Question three, what is the word of God? The holy scriptures of the Old and New Testament are the word of God, the only rule of faith and obedience. Question four, how doth it appear that the scriptures are the word of God? The Scriptures manifest themselves to be the Word of God by their majesty and purity, by the consent of all the parts and the scope of the whole, which is to give all glory to God, by their light and power to convince and convert sinners to comfort and build up believers unto salvation. But the Spirit of God bearing witness by and with the Scriptures in the heart of man, Is alone able fully persuaded in that they are the very word of God. Question five: What do the scriptures principally teach? The scriptures principally teach man is to believe concerning God and what duty God requires of man. Question six: What do the scriptures make known of God? The scriptures make known what God God is, the the persons in the Godhead, his decrees, and the execution of his decrees. All right, very good. So as we consider uh, question seven now this morning, um, we are going to be looking at the attributes of God. And if you look at your handout there, and you can uh, uh, pull that out and put it up front. Question seven. Again, I'll ask the question. Let's say the answer together. What is God? God is a spirit in and of himself, infinite in being, glory, blessedness, and perfection, all sufficient, eternal, unchangeable, incomprehensible, everywhere present, almighty, knowing all things, most wise, most holy, most just, Most merciful and gracious, long-suffering, and abundant in goodness and truth. All right, very good. So when we talk about the attributes of God, and again, I've stated that that's the focus of this question, as we can see even in the answer that we've just recited together. Um, We talk about the attributes of God mainly in two different ways. And um, there are different words that some use uh, to... Label or describe these attributes. But what I'm going to use this morning is incommunicable and communicable. Now we've heard these words before. We uh, <coughs> we even um, use them in other settings and contexts in our language, right? Incommunicable and communicable. What what is uh, another context that we may use? the word communicable in when we're talking about things. What's another context that you may have heard that word before? Diseases. Yeah, diseases, exactly. Communicable diseases, and what does that mean then? When we say a disease is communicable, what are we communicating? Right, you can catch it, it's shared, it can be passed on from person to person, right? Uh, we say sometimes that that person is contagious, right? Um, So when we're talking about the communicable and incommunicable attributes of God, when we refer to the incommunicable, we're referring to those attributes, those characteristics of God that are solely true of Him. And they are not true. They are not shared in any form with His creation. Okay, so these things, those incommunicable attributes, are those things that are solely true of him. Um, And the communicable attributes, on the other hand, are things that the Lord shares in some form with his creatures, right, that he gives to us, um, not in an identical form, in the same uh, sense that he possesses them. For example, and we'll talk about this more when we get to it um, in particular, but um, when we say that the Lord is most, wise, right? Well, as a, as that as wisdom is a communicable attribute, one that he gives, blesses, shares with us as his creatures, um, it is not that he shares it, and so that then therefore we also are most wise. No, he is the only most wise, but he does share uh, and give the gift and attribute of wisdom to us as his people. Okay, and to and to his creation of man. But what I would like to do here this morning is I'd like to start off with the incommunicable attributes of God, um, primarily because that's where the catechism begins. And, um, and so we start off with God in regards to his being, okay? And we, and we see that the first that is focused on there is that God is a spirit. God is a spirit, Let's turn to John four. (coughs) Caleb, can you get the cough drops on my desk? Thanks. (coughs) Excuse me. John chapter four and verse twenty four. John chapter 4 and verse 24, and in fact, let's back up to uh, verse 23. Who can read that? Who has it? Okay. But the hour is coming, and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship. Can I read the voice? Yes. God is spirit, and those who worship Him will worship of spirit and truth. Okay, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Okay, so we see the the connection here, right, between God and his being, and also then what he orders and ordains in terms of the worship that he requires of us as his people. And there is an aspect, there is the quality of our worship, in worshiping both in spirit and in truth, that is required because God is spirit, right? Because God is spirit and it it is um, because what is true of him in his being. Um, Now I want to uh, talk a little bit about and I'm gonna use um, G.I. Williamson's commentary on the uh, larger catechism just for some discussion questions here this morning. I think they're helpful. When we say that God is a spirit, when the scriptures say that, when Christ has said that about himself, what what is he referring to there? What does that mean when we say that God is spirit? Anybody have? body. Right. Right. God is a being that does not have who does not have a material body, right? In his being. Some said, Ah well, wait a minute, but the incarnation of Christ. Yes, but God in his being, the spirit, right? In his being on the spirit. Yes, it is true that Christ came in the fullness of time and took on flesh. And he continues to be in the flesh, right? Even as he has ascended and is seated at the Father's right hand. But in his being, God is spirit. He is a different being and sort of being than we are. But when we say God is spirit, that is describing that uh, true quality of his. But do we know of other spirits that the Lord has created? Is he the only spirit? And I just gave you the answer. Right. The Holy Spirit, third person of the Trinity. Right, But even in his creation, right, the Lord created spirits, right? Um, he is not the only spirit be, being in existence, right? He created angels, right? He created other spirits, um, both elect and fallen angels. Um, and so, but we see that uh, when we're talking about God as spirit, um uh G. I. Williamson makes a good point here. He says, why should we say God is a spirit instead of saying that God is spirit as the Christian science uh, Christian scientists do? And he gives two reasons. one of which is is that God is not the only spirit that exists, right? But the second is is because God is a person. We say God is a spirit instead of God is spirit for the latter way of speaking, seems to imply disbelief in God's individuality and therefore also disbelief in his personality. But it is important that we understand that God is spirit. Um, We also then need to understand that God in his being is infinite. And we see that in the next quality in the catechism. God is infinite. Let's turn to... Uh, Exodus 3:14, and if somebody else could grab Job 11:7 through 9. Exodus 3.14. Go ahead. Um, God said to Moses, I am, who I am. And He said, to and the Israel, I am. Mm-hmm. Very good. So I am who I am, right? Uh, God is the self-existent One. There has never been a time where God was not. Right? There has never been a time when Christ was not. And we'll talk more about that as we talk about Christ being begotten of the Father. Right? But there has never been a time when God is not. He is the great I Am. Job 11:7 through 9. Go for it. Can you search out the deep things of God? Can you find out the limits of the Almighty? They are higher than heaven. What can we do? Deeper than shield, what can we know? Their measure is longer than the earth and broader than the sea. Very good. So what's one of the big ideas here that you hear in that passage? What's the main point. God is limitless, right? You can't be on a quest to search out the end or the beginning of God and find it because you won't. You can't. He's infinite in his being which is really this, this quality along with the others uh, well, all of them in the incommunicable attributes and, and even those, these four that uh, specifically, the divines list out him being infinite in, in glory, blessedness, and perfection as well. Um, his infinitude blows our minds, right? Because we, we can't comprehend that. We are finite creatures. We are within time. We, 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 can't, we, we can grasp the, and understand with awe, because of the Spirit's work, the, the reality of God being beyond time, having no beginning or end, Um, we we can grasp that conceptually but beyond that it's very difficult for us to to really and and truly fully understand Um, but we do uh, have great awe and praise him for that reality he is limitless Psalm 145 Psalm 145 and I'll read verses 2 and 3 every day I will bless you and I will praise your name forever and ever Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. And his greatness is unsearchable. Okay? Unsearchable. Again, we can't search it and, and find the, the bounds to it. Um, he is infinitely great. But he is also infinite in glory. Let's look at Acts chapter 7, verse 2. Robert, can you read that one? Acts chapter 7, verse 2. And he said, Brethren and fathers, listen. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before He built an Iran. Good. He is the God of glory. He is the God of glory, and His glory knows no bounds. Remember, when we say that and when we are called in Scripture to give glory to God, that is not to say that God is somehow lacking or insufficient in His glory. It is not to say that glory given to him by his creatures is somehow filling uh, the remainder of the glory that he needs or requires. That has absolutely nothing to do with it. That's not what we're saying. He is infinite in glory. He is full of glory. We are glorifying him. We are honoring him. We are praising him for who he is and what he has done when we glorify him. We are not adding something to his being that he lacks he is infinite and perfect um, in that and so uh, we need to understand that but he is the god of glory wonderfully beautifully but he is also infinite in blessedness let's look at first Timothy chapter 6 before. Very good. Yep, he who is the blessed and only potentate, King of kings and Lord of lords. How many of you have thought, and you don't need to embarrass yourself by raising your hand, but think about it, how many of you have thought about Christ, or and, excuse me, about the triune God, even in his being, being infinite in blessedness? Right, Paul over and over again in his epistles says, "What blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ." He he ascribes blessing to God. Um, we are to do the same. You know, he he made such a statement uh, to the Ephesians, you know, for example. It is, un, it is good and under and necessary for us to understand that he is infinite in blessedness. I'll read and ask the question here. If our minds could comprehend God and understand how He can be infinite, what would that mean? Is that even possible? It's not possible, is it? We would have to be infinite ourselves, and that is not true, right? We would have to be equal with God to and have such infinite knowledge to be able to understand an infinite being and fully grasp that which we are not. All right, very good. So let's look at Matthew five forty eight. As we consider God being infinite in perfection as well. Go for it. You perfect heavenly father. Very good. You therefore be perfect. Just as your heavenly Father is perfect, what do you think Jesus means by that? In calling us to perfection. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. This is the standard, right? That God demands of His people is His own perfect character, right? We see this in the law, don't we? We see this quite clearly in the law as well as throughout the scriptures where the law reflects the character of God. Right, The law, even in, as we see in the Ten Commandments, it reflects the character of God. This is His righteous and perfect standard for us. It's a reflection of His character. And so He calls us uh, to that obedience, but here we see that He even calls us to the standard of his own perfect character. And God's perfection includes his love and his abundant grace. Right? Although perfection is not attainable in this life, it's the goal who are, who, of those who are the children of God, right? We are called to aspire to that. Right? Any questions about God being spirit? Or God uh, being infinite in being and glory and blessedness and perfection. Any, Any questions or comments about that? Yeah, 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 absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, that is a wonderful thing. Appreciate your discussion on the difference between God and the Spirit and God the Spirit. Appreciate that. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely, it's important. It's important. All right, well, let's talk about his all-sufficiency. Again, the passage that was read before Exodus 3.14, and by the way, as we go through these attributes, you're going to see some overlap in the proof texts and the passages um, on some of these different char- uh, characteristics and attributes. Exodus 3.14 is the first time we see a repeat in that. And that his all-sufficiency, or what we refer to as his aseity. It's good for you to know that. When we, If you ever hear or you read in a theological article, um, and you, you read that somebody says God is a-say. That's one word, A-S-E, right? That he is a-say. It's referring to his saying, his self-sufficiency, his independence from the creation, right? Exodus 3.14, where God declares himself to be the great I am, that's a great proof text again for that, right? It's a proof text for his being infinite in his being, that he always has been and always will be. Um, There is never a time that God is not, but it's also proof of his being self-sufficient. He is in no need of his creation. Right? His creation is not fulfilling a void, fulfilling a void. Let's look at Genesis seventeen, if somebody can grab that and also Romans eleven. Genesis seventeen verse one. Okay, thank you. Abraham was ninety nine years old, and I Very good. Read that again. Very good. Yeah, he is all-sufficient. And where do we see that? We see that in the command. Walk before me and be blameless. He is God Almighty. Um, There is no request for help. There is no request for aid. There is no indication of anything less than his full sufficiency in that statement. In his words there. Romans chapter 11. And I'll begin reading at verse 33 to the end of the chapter. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has become his counselor? For who has first given to him and it shall be repaid to him? Let's just pause there for a moment and think about that. Who has known the mind of the Lord? No one can truly know the mind of the Lord. Who has become his counselor? No one has become his counselor for he hasn't needed counsel. He is the perfect counselor. Right? The Almighty God. God. Or who has first given to him and it shall be repaid to him. Who has God owed a debt to? Right? Because he didn't have and somebody else did. Gave it to him and now the Lord owes him a debt for that gift that was given. No. Nobody. That's the answer. Nobody. For God has never lacked anything. And here's the confirmation of those things. Right? Right? by the way, that's a quote from Isaiah 40. For of Him and through Him and to Him are all things, to whom be glory forever. Amen. So for of Him, all things are of God. Right? They came from God. They came through God, by His work, by His action, right? And they're to Him. He has created all things. He has made all things. He has designed and ordained all things to be to and for Himself. For His glory, ultimately, right? Back to question one. For His glory, the grand purpose. Out of his good pleasure. And so of him and through him and to him are all things, to whom be glory forever. Amen. That's a wonderful passage to memorize. If you haven't already, I would encourage you to do so. But he is also eternal. Okay? He is also eternal. So he is infinite in his being. He is spirit. He is all sufficient. And he is also eternal. Psalm 90 verse 2. Can somebody grab that? Excellent. Go for it. Read it. Right. can you read that one more time? Very good. What awesome things do you hear in that verse? It's everlasting. From everlasting to everlasting, right? So in other words, think of this. This, this also um, helps us in regards to saying he has been from the beginning, from everlasting, and he will always be to everlasting. Right. So there isn't a point in time where he will be. Well, he will not be. Right? It wasn't that he always was, but then there will come a point where he is not. Now, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. And not just that that's an important statement too in terms of His uh, sovereignty, right? And that it isn't just in His being and His existence, but it is in who He is. He is God. Right? Very good. Deuteronomy chapter 33. And verse 27. I'll back up to verse 26. There is no one like the God of Jeshurun who rides the heavens to help you. And in his excellency on the clouds, the eternal God is your refuge. And underneath are the everlasting arms. He will thrust out the enemy from before you and will say, destroy. So here is the eternal God. Right, None are like him. He rides the heavens, and you see this theme of of this great um, otherness in his actions that only he can do. And granted, granted it's, it's using metaphorical language in a lot of ways, but yet very true as it describes this picture of what the Lord is doing and what is the big message here. He is doing these things. He is this. For your help, for your aid. He rides the heavens to help you in His excellencies on the clouds. The eternal God is your refuge. There is no better refuge than the eternal God. <laughs> for He is the greatest and the supreme of all that is. There is none better. You know, many ways as you read this passage, read the other passages in Psalms and elsewhere where it talks about the Lord being our refuge and let this influence your praise and adoration and awe of God as your refuge. For He is the eternal God who is your refuge. And underneath are the everlasting arms the everlasting arms arms language in the scriptures describes what about god what do you commonly hear and how does god uh what is god describing when we hear about his arms or even his hand right anthropomorphic language here what what is what is he communicating to us he is holding us holding us yeah there's nothing too big for him right nothing too big power Yeah, absolutely. Power, might, right? With his mighty right hand, right? His everlasting arms. Um, Jesus describes in in John 10, right? How no one can snatch us out of his hands, right? Um, So we see this, yes, strength, power, protection. And, And so... In all of that, as you look at those things together, you see that uh, this wonderful picture of safety and security. And when the Lord comes to give one aid, it is truly all that they need and it will be fully sufficient. Because there is none greater. In his arms is where we need to be. In his hands is where we want to be. For that is where indeed we are the most secure. We are protected by him. So he is eternal. He is eternal. But he is also unchangeable. Let's look at Malachi 3 6. Malachi 3 6, the last book of the Old Testament. I hope as we go through these things, you're encouraged and blessed, not only this morning, but also in the questions and answers that have been leading us up to this point. And it's really showing us many details and, and showing us God and His revelation, but now showing us God Himself, right? And we should awe and wonder at these truths, right? That give us great joy, give us great comfort and assurance and confidence. Um, in him. But he is unchangeable. Scripture teaches us, which the theological term for that is immutable. Immutable. There's been some uh, debate that has been going on and even some concern in some circles that some have been trying to promote that God is mutable in some aspects of how he relates to his creation. And uh, that is not true. He is immutable. He doesn't change. Let's look at Matthew or excuse me, Malachi three six. Who has that? I Very good. For I am the Lord, I do not change. Therefore you are not consumed with such a Very good. Very clearly there from the words of the Lord himself. I am the Lord. I do not change. I, I do not change. How do the folks talking about changing deal with the last half of that Ask the question again. How do the folks who are promoting that he is beautiful deal with the last half of that? That's why you're not consumed, Because I don't change. Yeah. No, that's a great question. Um, and some of the discussion in the debate, and this is something that we can go into in another day, but is more about Christ and his incarnation and how he relates to man. Right? Um, but the bottom line is, is that he does not change. Um, and uh, so... But yeah, very good point. Therefore, you are not consumed, right? Because of the immutability of God. Um, that is the reason for the outcome and what has happened, right? As he communicates to the sons of Jacob. And the unchanging, the unchanging nature of God is a wonderful thing, right? Is a is a wonderful point of knowledge and comfort. That the Lord is consistent from beginning to end. Right? The writer to the Hebrews says what? Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We can trust. We can rest in our God. Knowing that He isn't some unpredictable or unpredictable being that just shifts and changes and then things drastically change uh, in an unpredictable way. No. The Lord is the same. He doesn't change. He never has, and He never will. Incomprehensible is next. First Kings 8.27. Can someone grab that? Very good. Go for. it. Very good. Read that one more time read it loud. Very good. Yeah, so the Lord and being his being contained, right? And not being able to be contained is in view there. Psalm 145, again, is one of the proof texts here. And uh, we read that earlier, so we won't read that again. but He is also everywhere present. He is omnipresent. Let's look at Psalm 139. Psalm 139. By the way, on incomprehensible there, Romans 11.34 is a typo. I'll correct that. The Psalm 139. Let's consider the first 13 verses. For the chief musician, a Psalm of David, Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down, and are acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You have hedged me behind and before, and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. Let's stop there for a minute. Who was, a quick trivia question, who was a man in the Bible who thought that he could escape God's presence? Jonah, somebody said, yeah. Somebody say somebody else. Adam. Yeah. Yeah. Adam did that. How did he do that? Trying to hide from God, right? Yeah. Jonah is a good one. Right? He fled from God. He tried to run from Him, um, thinking that he could somehow make it, um, thinking that the boat would be sufficient um, to free him from the call of the Lord, right? But the Lord convinced him otherwise. But in verse 11, we go on, if I say, surely the darkness shall fall on me, even the night shall be light about me indeed the darkness shall not hide from you but the night shines as the day the darkness and the light are both alike to you so notice that even in darkness if we were to say oh we can hide from people in darkness and people do that right we can hide from people in darkness maybe maybe i can hide from god in the darkness oh no Night and darkness, uh, light and darkness are the same. Uh, light to the Lord, it makes no difference. You can't hide. Right? For you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. So the Lord knows all. He knows us in the most intricate parts of our being. He, he, he made and he formed those intricate parts. He. He put them together piece by piece, atom by Adam, um, and, and knit us together. He knows all of these things. He knows our thoughts. He knows our whereabouts. He knows our intentions, right? And, and so as David reflects on this, his mind is blown. It is a wonderful thing to him. It is such a high thing to think that God is everywhere present. He is omnipresent. And so even we need to be thinking of that in every aspect, but even in the aspects of when we wrestle with sin, don't we? Because sometimes we think that if we're behind closed doors or we're in our closets or we're doing something and nobody else can see us, we're clear. We can give in. Nobody can see or find out. Nobody will know. But God knows. God knows. God sees exactly what's going on. I think another thing that is also important for us to remember is God's presence being everywhere. But then also we see the occasions in Scripture where he speaks to his special presence. And where where did we see his special presence evident time and again in the Scriptures? His special presence. We could go back to the garden, but yeah, go ahead, Travis. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, you could you could see, even if you walk back to the garden, you could see God, and he walked with Adam in the cool of the day, right? His special presence there. We see even in the early formations of his people and, and of Israel, we see um, as they were in the wilderness, how is he present? by a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. In the tabernacle, that kind of roaming and, and uh, transportable, movable uh, sanctuary of God, his special presence dwelt there. That's what tabernacle means. It's a it's a dwelling of the Lord with his people. Uh, when scripture speaks of him dwelling, it's really him tabernacling right, with his people. We see that in Solomon's temple, of course. Holy of holies special presence there no one could enter except for the high priest uh, once a year to make the sacrifice and um, his special presence was with the people and now where do we see his special presence here today within us we are the temple of God the Holy Spirit dwells within us and so yeah Travis is right the place where his spirit dwells all right, is where we see his special presence although we know that beyond that he is everywhere he is everywhere. And so it is a wonderful thing. It's a There's a, a covenantal aspect in nature to the presence of God and his special presence with his people. right? Because he is everywhere. But in his good pleasure, he has uh, determined and decided and decreed to have that special presence with us. To come and be amongst us, to be with us. And we know that he will never forsake us or leave us. All right. Um, the last one we'll look at here this morning is him being almighty, which is really speaking about his omnipotence. If somebody could grab uh, Revelation 4.8 and another Matthew 19.26. Uh, I have Revelations. Very good. Go for it. And- And the four living creatures, each of them with six things, are full of eyes all around them. And yay, amen, they never cease to say, holy, holy, Holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Very good. Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord God Almighty. There is much might in the created order. We see nations and armies, great armies, powerful armies. Right? Nebuchadnezzar's Army, right? For example, um, and others, the Assyrian armies. We see, um, we see Rome, right? Power of Rome and others, but but we see God as being Almighty. Right? He is King of Kings and He is Lord of Lords. All subservient kings bow the knee and serve Him. Right. He is almighty. There is none who has greater power than him, for he indeed gave all who have power their power. Uh, Matthew 19, verse 26. Got it. Go for it. But Jesus looked at them and said to them, With men, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Very good. With men, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. And how is that true? Because he has all power and dominion. Um, It is all his. And he rules it all. With no sweat on his brow, no effort on his part, Because he is the Almighty, the Omnipotent One. As you consider these incommunicable attributes of God, again, as I said before, I would encourage you to grow in your awe and and, and knowledge of God and who he is and what he is, but also, and especially for you young people here today, I want to encourage you to consider God and, and study these passages, these proof texts. Commit them to memory. Do these things because it's important as you talk to other people, as you grow, as you interact, as you are navigating with your families, but also um, at at later points in life, even on your own, as you're navigating in the midst of this world, who would say things that are different about God, who would define God in different ways, and who would say that God and the God of the Bible is weak. He does not have these attributes He must be flawed. He must not be perfectly wise because why would this or this or this be happening? Or he must not be truly infinite. He must not even exist. We talked about uh, some of these things early on in the initial questions regarding apologetics. But grow in your adoration and love for God, for who he is, but then also let that provide a solid foundation and a grounding for you as you engage in conversation with people about different aspects of his attributes. That is in part what the benefit of this is. To know your God, first and foremost. But it's also then to be able to definitively from the word of God, have great comfort and confidence by by which to defend the truth about the living God. And to share that wonderful truth With others as you teach them and show them who He is as He's revealed Himself to us in Scripture. All right. Well, praise the Lord. Let's, uh, we'll go ahead and stop there. We'll pick up. Yeah. Can you just talk for a second about, um, how all this relates to the existence of evil? How it all relates to the existence of evil? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, in His attributes, of course, God is, uh, Sovereign um, and uh, over and has ordained all things to be true, right? Uh, But we see, for example, in James chapter 1, right, where uh, sin uh, comes from, right? We see that God has allowed in his infinite wisdom and perfection, his infinite counsel, he has allowed uh, what? He allowed Satan to fall along with his uh, minions and other fallen angels, right? He has allowed uh, different things to occur. He, uh, he created Adam and Eve. He created man with um, the ability, although they were created perfect in perfection, and he gave them the call and the command to perfect and personal obedience to him. He did create them with the ability to sin, and they did choose to sin. We saw this, right? And so we see that that evil does exist, right? And in on one hand, you have to you have to say that the Lord did allow that to happen. He ordained. It. Is God the author of sin? No. And James one teaches us that that is true, where sin comes from, right? Um, but. These attributes of His do uh, paint the picture of what is true about Him in infinitude and uh, in power and presence and all of these things in holiness. But yet um, we do see that um, He did allow certain things to happen, and ultimately, what is what are those things for? Um, To display His glory. To display His glory. Um, and to further manifest um, that glory. Um, And so, for example, if you go to Romans, right? And we can pick up on this more. Romans chapter 9. In verse fourteen, right. What shall we say then? Is there any unrighteousness with God? Certainly not. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whomever I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whomever I will have compassion. And so then it is not of him who wills, nor of him who runs, but God who shows mercy. For the scripture says for the scripture says to the Pharaoh, For this very purpose I have raised you up, that I may show my power in you. And that my name may be declared in all the earth. All right, we see that that verse is a good example of why why did God allow sin to enter into the world? Why do God? Why does God allow evil to exist? Well, to show His glory, to show His power, that His name would be declared in all the earth. Right, He you see that an example specifically. Pharaoh. Um, It goes on. Therefore, he has mercy on whom he wills, and on whom he wills, he hardens. You will say to me, Why does he still find fault for who has who has resisted his will? But indeed, O man, who are you to reply against God? Will the thing formed to him, uh, formed say to him who formed it, Why have you made me like this? Does not the potter have power over the clay? From the same lump to make one vessel for honor and another for dishonor. And of course we know that this is going into the doctrine of election as well, right? But what if God, wanting to show his wrath and to make his power known, we see this again, endured with much long sufferings the vessels of wrath prepared for destruction that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy. So we see this this contrast and we see the presence of evil yes and we see what people refer to as the problem of evil but we see that why is it there well ultimately it's regarding his glory and that he may make the riches of his glory known on the vessels of mercy we see here specifically in this in these verses which he has prepared beforehand for glory and he goes on So I would say, I mean, that's a very short answer and only partial, but I would say that ultimately um, that's why we see evil in existence, that he's allowed it, he's ordained it for his purposes. But in part, to see and to show his power, his goodness, his mercy on the vessels of honor. And just have that, that, that contrast Uh, to be more clearly evident. I would say is a big piece of that answer. It's not a full answer, but a piece of that answer. Anybody Anybody else have any other questions? All right, let's go ahead and pray. Our gracious God and heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your mercy to us. We thank you for... Uh, condescending to us and revealing Yourself to us in the pages of Holy Scripture. We pray that You would uh, be pleased to write these words in our heart to encourage us in the knowledge of who You are, even in Your being, what is true of You, what is true of Your character, that we would praise You, that we would worship You even more wholeheartedly with such knowledge and that you truly would receive all the glory for all that you have done all that you are doing and all that you promised to do In Christ's name we pray Amen